This is Paul Nobles from Eat Perform, and I am sitting here with what looks to be about 100 people once we're all said and done. Uh, this is our Lifetime Power Hour. It's, it's a live coaching call for our lifetime clients. And um, if you're not familiar, you know, we have a membership level, which, you know, I think a lot of people are familiar with. But we also give clients the option to buy a lifetime package. If you've ever remember, like uh, Jim, Jim's used to do this, where, you know, if you started uh, at lifetime, as an example, and you wanted to be like a president's club member, you know, basically president's club would mean that you had, you know, a, um, a membership to lifetime forever. And um, you still actually see some of those kind of floating around every now and again, but uh, it's kind of interesting. But Lifetime basically gives you access to each form coaches uh, for life. And so uh, it's very popular. Um, it was definitely very popular uh, this time around. And so we have a lot of people on the call, I think partially because this is their first time to kind of celebrate. So welcome everybody. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. We we do use these, these um these calls uh, specifically to do a little bit more advanced stuff. And so we have Eat Perform coach uh, Jeff Raiders on the line. And, you know, he is a frequent business tra traveler. And so he's going to give us some tips and tricks. So, Jeff, first question I have for you um, What is your opinion? on travel scales because uh, I, I've fought the urge for a long time. Um, I don't necessarily need it. What I typically do is the morning I'm there, I will use whatever scale that they have or, or not really worry about it. But uh, you know, I did break down, buy a travel scale. I think what happens, at least in my case, um, I will weigh myself and I think a lot of people will admit to this, that they're not just overdoing it. A lot of times they're underdoing it, right? That's at least my case. And so what I'll do is just check my weight as I'm going. And then it will then allow me to, um, you know, if I'm under, I can, I can know that that's a day I want to kind of push things a little bit more. And I, I'll walk through a little bit about how maybe some vacation stuff if Jeff doesn't cover it. So Jeff is uh, actually uh, at a family event. So he is in his car uh, using the Wi-Fi from the house. And I'm not sure if we're having problems or not, but Jeff, can you hear me? The video to make sure you didn't, we didn't have any issues. So um, okay. when it comes to travel scales, I personally don't carry one with me when I travel for work. I, I just don't have the room in my bag um, and, and nor really have the time some mornings to, to get into that. The, the biggest thing that, that I do is I, I just stick to the plan. Um, and for me, that starts out with breakfast, having a pre-portioned smoothie. So if you look on the um, the meal prep group, I kind of shot a video weeks ago where I have black seed and some powdered peanut powder that I make a smoothie with in the morning in my hotel room. And that really helps me start off the day, you know, well, um, especially because fat is my 
biggest commodity when I travel. Fat is the one thing that I have to watch the closest because everywhere you turn, um, you know, there's fat in everything that you eat out, especially when you're looking at convenience foods. So I really try and start my morning off, you know, with a nice good hit of protein as well as low fat because I know I need to, you know, keep my fats, keep an eye on my fats throughout the day. So Jeff, you are a little pixelated. Um, I don't know if you can drive closer to the house or what. Um, yeah, but, let, me, let me move. But yeah, they, um, we are going to try and use this as a podcast, but um, sometimes that uh, type of thing will uh, not allow for that. So um, yeah, I think that, I think the food scale, a lot of the time, you know, can eliminate some panic can also alert you to some things, you know, it's really interesting. I think anybody on this phone call could probably relate to the fact that the scale could get really frustrating. Right. And, you know, one of the things that we, you know, I'm going to try and talk to you guys, but also try and talk to uh, the people that are listening to the podcast is one of the things we really try to get out there is that it's the expectation of the scale going down. That's a real problem. And when you can get away from that, that is somewhat helpful. I mean, it's, it's never going to not be frustrating when, when, you know, I mean, let's be real, you know, you've had barbecue with, you know, six beers and stuff like this and you hit the scale and the scales up, um, you know, that's going to be frustrating no matter what phase that you're in. Right. And then one of the things that Jeff said, and this is one of the most underrated concepts, whether you travel or a weekend away or anything is that there's this myth out there that carbs are the huge problem. Right. And the reality is, is if you go to like a steakhouse or you go to like a really nice um, restaurant while you're traveling, the big issue is actually the fats, right? Because they're cooking with amounts of butter that you would not cook in real life, right? And so you got to kind of keep those things in mind. But it, it always strikes me as I, I mean, that's this big narrative, right? I actually put a, put a post up on sugar addiction. And the big narrative is, of course, that carbs are the big problem. And it's like nobody eats carbs alone. You know, and and the fats that they have, and this is the, you know, like Jeff's saying, like, this is the problem when you're traveling, you know, they're not going to make untasty foods. And so it's the amount of fats that will often cause the issue. So if you could be a little bit more cognizant of that, have some prepared meals, that really goes a long way. But uh, I'm sure that's not the only tip you have, though, Jeff, and hopefully the signal's a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, hopefully it is now. I've got full signal on my laptop now. Um, so, so correct, I used to be a chef and I worked in fine dining and the amount of butter that we would go through in a shift when we were cooking meals was just astronomical. So yes, um, you're correct on that. Um, the other thing is uh, salt is a big issue and salt is one of the things you have very little control over when you travel. So I personally don't look or track or really watch the salt as much because it's not something I can control a lot. What I do do is I get things unseasoned when I can. So I really like steakhouses because they usually have fresh chicken breast, 
They have baked potatoes. So I can get a plain grilled chicken breast with a plain baked potato, and then I can control the amount of fat, the amount of salt at the table with me. Um, I, I was talking to a client last week. If you need carbs and you're in an airport, Auntie Anne's is everywhere. If you get a unsalted pretzel, it's like 65 grams of carbs. I think it's five grams of fat. And if you can get the salt on it, or if they don't have an unsalted, just grab the salted one and scrape it all off as much as you can. It's a great way to get some carbs at lower fat. Um, Chinese restaurants are great because they always have steamed rice. Sushi places, you can always get a side of sushi rice. Um, so there's ways to get the carbs in without the fat. Um, you know, if it's a low day, fasting in the morning and waiting till later in the later in the day to start eating is, is great. But one of my biggest tips, so for business travel, you know, I have an expense account, so I don't have to worry about cost as much. So I use Instacart. So for instance, last week I was traveling, I wasn't getting to the hotel until 1030 at night. Grocery stores are closed. What am I going to do for snacks or breakfast the next morning? You know, it's COVID. A lot of these breakfast or these hotels don't have good breakfasts anymore. Don't have a wide selection. So I got on my app, I got onto Instacart, I picked up some rice cakes. So I had some nice clean carbs. I picked up my banana, my spinach for my smoothie. I picked up some Zevia. So I had some something bubbly with some flavor to drink and I had it shipped to the front desk at the hotel. And right when I got there, it's sitting at the front desk. I grab my groceries, I go upstairs. I don't have to worry about getting to you know, a grocery store. And so for business travel, that's a big thing. When it comes to personal travel, you know, costs do become a, an avenue. So packing food with you, you'll see people on the uh, meal planning page that will talk about, you know, the food that they're packing in their, their suitcase. Um, one big thing I started doing when I was first with Eat to Perform that I don't do much anymore, but it helped me was I got a lunch box with a hot plate in the bottom of it. So if you go on Amazon, you can get these lunch boxes with a lunch with a hot plate in the bottom. They've got them ones that can plug into a car and ones that can plug into an outlet. And what I did was I would take, um, so I go to the grocery store when I'm traveling, grab a bag of frozen cooked rice, put it in the bottom, grab a bag of frozen mixed vegetables, put a portion of that in there. Then I'd grab some grilled chicken breasts. So usually like Whole Foods at the deli counter, they'll have already cooked up proteins. So I'll usually grab a chicken breast and then I'll cut it with a butter knife in the hotel room. I'll put all that in the glass container that, that goes into the lunchbox. I'll put it in the freezer in the hotel room so it's chilled and I'll put it in the lunchbox. You can take that through security as long as it has no liquid in it. So you can take food through the security. Yes, they're gonna look at it, but they're gonna look at it and go, oh, it's just food and they'll put it back. And then when I get into the airport, whether or not I plug it in at the gate or if you're traveling on an airplane that has plugs in between the seats, you can plug it in between the seats. It takes about 45 minutes to heat up, but then you've got a nice freshly cooked hot meal, um, especially if you're going transcontinental, you're going on a five hour plane flight, you can have a nice healthy fresh cooked meal on the airplane um, or in your car on a long drive, uh, that'll help you hit your macros and stay on plan. And I see somebody dropped a link in the, the chat box with it, uh, but that's, that's a great option. I actually had one day where I got upgraded to first class and I had the first class meal, which was like this big. And, and then I got my meal out and the stewardess was like, do you want another meal? I'm like, no, I'm good. I got my, I brought my meal with me. 
Um, but that, that is something I did a lot when I was first with each perform and I was having troubles juggling, um, the macros and, and hitting plan that helped me have like one good meal that I, I knew would help get me off on a good base. So I think the thing that occurs to me, and I don't know if it's occurring to everyone else, um, but there's a great question and I'm interested to hear your response. And I just want to let everyone know that I'm going to give the opposite response in a lot of these instances, and both are going to be right, right? It's just what fits for you in your situation. What I can say is that a lot of you are doing fat loss wrong, right? So you know that, you know, you, you've been seeing all the stuff for me to perform. You really like the idea. And, you know, you come in and you tell the coaches you want fat loss. So they put you on a, a weight loss program. And then two weeks in, you, um, you immediately have to go to your in-laws for two weeks, right? Mm -hmm. And then you don't have control over your food. Some of what Jeff's talking about is going to be really helpful, but some of it could be planning, right? Like if you, if you had just come in with PR as an example, instead of fat loss, we could have normalized your calories for almost three weeks, you know, and then did fat loss after that. Now, some of that, your coaches will be able to help you, but um, what Jeff's walking you through is when this is really important to you, and, and, and truthfully, the next question is actually really perfect for this. Um, when this is really important to you, then you can do some of the things that, that Jeff is talking about. But when we're talking about PR, part of the idea of PR is to be a little bit flexible, right? So once we have your metabolism kind of revving up, ready to go, and let's say your calories are 2,000, 2,200, that does allow for a lot more flexibility than if you were eating in the order of 1200 to 1400, right? That's one of the big things. Like everyone talks about like eat perform as if like, I just want you to eat more just because I, I want you to have like food freedom. I love the fact that many of you feel food freedom, but that's not why the program exists. The program exists because it's the correct way for your body to work, right? And so when your calories are higher, you know, when you're NPR or AP or something like that, that's where you can get away with a little bit more flexibility. So I'm going to, I'm going to read you Shelly's question because it's directly on point to um, your, your question. I'm interested to hear your thoughts. So good morning. I was planning on asking my coach Jeff this question, but I'll ask you here too. Heading to Moab for 16 days. I've always wanted to go there. Um, I've been through Utah. Most people don't know this. Utah is one of the most beautiful States in, in the, well, in the country, but also uh, beautiful places in the world. The amount of national parks is just unreal. And, um, you know, and then of course, a lot of people end up going to the Grand Canyon eventually. Um, but like Zion and Bryce Canyon, those are, those are just amazing. And then arches obviously, but I've never been there. So we are camping and don't have internet unless we go into town. Also heading into PR. I don't normally log my food, but I'm not sure how to navigate this. We will mountain bike almost every day and it is hot. We also do a lot of walking and hiking. I don't want to derail. Okay. I think it's a great question. I don't think it's a derail. It's a, it's a scenario. 
that a lot of people face, including probably Jeff and I. Yeah, so I'll I'll be the first one to say when I go on vacation, I typically don't track and I schedule my fat losses around my vacation so I don't have to track. So I went into fat loss. I was in fat loss in April and May and started AP on Memorial Day. My wife and I went on a trip a week ago. I specifically scheduled my fat loss so that my wife and I could go on our two-day trip without our kids. And so I would not have to track on the trip. That was, that was a big consideration to my timing of my fat loss cycles. I'll do the same thing. Like if I know I've got a week-long vacation, I will make sure I am either at the end of AP or NPR for the trip so I can take a break from tracking. And on the trip, I came back, I was up, I think it was a pound and a half, maybe two pounds from sodium. Two days later, once I got the sodium flushed out, I was weight stable from my trip. Um, I've done camping trips. I don't track when I'm camping because first of all, you're doing lots of steps, lots of activity, um, but just eat intuitively. I mean, you kind of know, you know, if you've been doing each to perform, you know, for a good bit, you kind of know how to feel, you know, when you're hungry. Uh, the biggest thing I just say is carbs are, are great for energy. So again, camping, we tend to eat a lot of fat. So be aware of how much fat you're taking in and think about how can I get some carbs in so I have energy to go hiking and keep up the activity. Because uh, it's really easy to take a hamburger with a ton of fat, grill a steak. Um, it's harder when you're camping to have some rice. Potatoes are great. Grits, oatmeal, just make sure you have the carbs to help fuel your body for the activity. Because the last thing you want to do is get into your trip, be in the middle of a hike and not be able to enjoy it because you're, just, you're dragging on the trail. Yeah, a lot of the a lot of the carbs that people sleep on. I mean, not necessarily camping wise, but um, risotto and polenta are also really good carb sources for people looking for um, sides for meals and things of this nature. We actually did a camping trip, so my wife and I are really not big campers, but my daughters are. Um, they they've been going to camp forever. Um, they they you know, have just had camping as part of their life um, without us for a very long time. We did actually plan out all of our meals and we had them in the cooler and all this and that, and it was all directly on our macros. So that, that can be done. Uh, I would not recommend that per se. Um, I think part of the idea of what we're doing, like if you think about like a lot of diet programs, you know, it would cause you so much anxiety when you could not control your environment. One of the nicest things about what we're doing, where your calories are higher. Now, once again, if your calories are lower, you're going to have to, you're going to have to think about it. And I'm not saying that it should never happen, but you should often plan around it or pause or something. Right. And your coaches can help you with that because you know, like what Jeff's saying, if he was in PR and his weight only went up a pound and a half and that was mostly from sodium, the exact opposite is going to happen if you're at 1200 calories, right? So, you know, this is why people are so scared of the scale. This is why people are so scared of, of traveling and vacation and things of this nature is because they go into it with the wrong mindset, right? And you know, if there's any one thing that that we try to teach all of you is that, you know, the the goals that you want 
have to always be eventually, right? And I do have some strategies that are going to be a little bit different than uh, what Jeff is talking about, but I think that they're relevant for this situation. Like I said, um, I I think most people know this that that um, you know I eat intuitively most of the time, right? Because my calories once they get to thirty five hundred. You know, I'm just not going to sit there and log every single thing. I know how much I'm eating, you know, I'm eating six meals a day, you know, I'm good in terms of calories. Right. And so as long as I'm keeping those calories up, I do mix in a low day, um, two low days, obviously similar, same, same as all of you. Um, but when I'm traveling, even if I'm in PR, sometimes it's okay for a little bit of a cleanup. Right. And like when we're talking about Moab, as an example, you're going to do a lot of hiking and mountain biking and things of this nature. And so I will eat a little bit more intuitively. Now, this is where I do like some level of fasting. Now, anytime we start talking about fasting, all of a sudden it triggers like some crazy part of everybody's brain. Right. Where they, they're like, can I not eat for like three days? You know, it's like, whoa, whoa. Like, you know, we're we're just talking about some level of of understanding that's a little bit better. And so when we look at any type of fasting, all you really try and do is sort of manage your calories. Right. And so um, when I'm at like a CrossFit event or something like this, the one thing that um I allow for is to have kind of one meal, right? And so we know when you're traveling, like I said, steakhouses, dessert, things of this nature, that meal can easily get over 2000 calories, right? So usually I'm going to fast um, and that'll get me to around noon. If I'm feeling comfortable, I'll go even longer. Um, I do like to have some carbohydrates, uh, you know, in, in, in what would ultimately be breakfast in that instance. And so a lot of times I'll just go to Starbucks and get two of the little oatmeal um, meals that they have and just throw those in, you know, maybe have coffee. I don't, I don't typically have coffee past noon. Um, but, but that's one thing that's, that's sort of helpful for me. And then if, if, you know, a lot of times at those type of events, it's more networking for me. Um, and so if I can convince everybody to have, you know, dinner at five o'clock, <laughs> you know, usually that's going to be a little bit better. And I think that what happens in that situation is that you're somewhat restrictive and it's a little bit uncomfortable. And so what happens is, is people are like, Ooh, maybe I've lost some weight. Really don't use fasting that way like if we're using any kind of fasting strategy that's outside of fat loss you're really trying to stay about even right you're really not trying to um you know lose weight now you know i've used this strategy and unintuitively lost weight but i don't get home and be like yay i'm down two pounds you know let's keep it going you know a lot of times i'll just try and normalize things just because I know the value in that, right? And I wrote an article about this earlier in the week where it was like, you know, if you're constantly, every time the, the, the scale, you know, is down, 
and and you just continue to do salads, 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 you know, you're really kind of not doing the plan. And so that would actually be a time where I would start logging again is if I came from a four to five day trip and my, my uh, calories unintuitively got lower, you know, I will start to make sure that I'm getting in that 3,500 to 4,000 calories that are going to make me, you know, grow muscle, fuel my workouts, things of that nature. And so um, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, oh, oh th so this is, this is the part that, um, that is important to that. Um, because there's so much butter and because, you know, it, it's cooked in a way that is just super high calories, I will typically have that meal lowish carb. I do like to have a little bit of starch with my meals, not nothing too crazy, um, just for digestion. And then, uh, I always have a dessert in, in the last 15 years, I've never had a day without dessert. Right. Um, and so you can fit all these things in, it's just a matter of strategy. And I think, you know, the less rigid you can be, the better, you know, I've been talking a lot about, uh, you know, my daughter who's in performance and Carolyn's her coach and I bring it up every single time, but she has struggled with, you know, um, she wants her macros to be perfect. Right. Um, and, and she feels, you know, that she's, she's seeing great success and, and happy with it and things of this nature, but she's had a few instances where, you know, she's had to be a little bit more flexible and it, and it's frustrated her. And I've had to sort of walk her through that a little bit. Like the whole idea here of eating, you know, she's now 2,500, probably going to be closer to 2,700. The whole point of eating 2,700 is that you can be flexible. But what you don't realize when you're eating 2,700 is that it's not as many calories as you kind of think it is, right? You can sort of realize, holy cow, I was probably overeating by quite a bit when you realize that you have to kind of, kind of, you have to be careful with those meals, even at 2,700, right? So Jeff, um, so, so my evening meal is going to be mostly low carb. And then my dessert is going to be, you know, sorbet or something like that, where, where it's not going to be like this massive calorie load for a dessert or this big sugar thing that's going to cause a sugar crash when I sleep. But so Jeff, um, any strategies like that? Because, you know, there's just some times where, you know, intuitively you want to be able to kind of get through a stretch. Do you use any, I know you mentioned a few things so far, but anything a little bit specific? Yeah. So, so fasting definitely when I'm, you know, so I'm in sales, so I'm, you know, from time to time can be taking clients out to a very nice dinner, um, which is going to be usually at a nice steakhouse with wine and, you know, appetizers, entrees, dessert, post-dinner drinks. So fasting is, is something I use a lot on those days. Um, you know, something I help get me through the fast, uh, Sonic Diet Cherry Limeades are great for, you know, as a, a low calorie soda that you can, you can have when you're traveling. Uh, but yeah, definitely limiting my cat, my caloric intake so that in the earlier in the day, so I've got a big slot at the end of the day and I'll try and pre-log that dinner. So I kind of know what I'm logging around and I'll leave extra room. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things when I'm traveling, I always leave about 30 grams of carbs 
um, and try to leave a good 10 to 15 grams of fat as my pre or my pre bed snack. That way, if I'm at an event or I am out traveling with a group of people and we end up going for ice cream or we end up getting an appetizer I wasn't planning on, I've got something to rob from so I can stay on plan. Um, so that's important. So I usually carry with me, I usually have rice cakes in my bag uh, as a snack for me. And then I usually have some of Justin's peanut butter individual pouches. And those are kind of what I use for macro caps at the end of the day. And so I usually log those as a macro cap and then I rob from them when I need them in the day um, so that I can stay on plan and I can adjust. Cause let's face it, when you're traveling with a group of people, three or four or five other people, you don't always get to pick where you get to eat. Um, you can't always pick a place that's going to fit your macros. So leaving some room in your plan to adjust um, is really important. Um, the other thing I, I do want to touch base well on. Hey, is, Jeff, can I yeah. interrupt for just a second? Yeah. Can you explain to people what a macro cap is? So a macro cap. Uh, so I find it very beneficial to eat some food before bed to help me sleep. Um, so a macro cap is what I have as my pre-bed snack and I have it every day, even in fat loss, I have a macro or a macro cap, but it adjusts based upon the macros I have left. So if I look at my plan and I've got 20 grams of carbs, I've got three grams of fat um, and I'm good on my protein, then I'm going to, going to find a food that will fit that amount of macros. So I make sure I, I hit my plan for that day. And it's how I adjust my pre-bed snack to, to the macros that are left. So it could be cereal, it could be rice cakes. You see a lot of people using yogurt. Uh, it could be bread with peanut butter. Um, I, try, I keep it low sugar, so I don't have that insulin uh, spike before bed. Um, I try to keep it fairly low fat. Doesn't always work that way in PR, just because I feel like I sleep better when it's just carbs. So for me, it's usually popcorn or rice cakes or cereal. Um, um, or if I need protein, it might be a casein-based uh, protein drink. Um, but it's how I round out my macros at the end of the day. Okay, yeah. So it's a, it's it's like a dessert. I, yeah, I, it's like it's it's been brought up the last couple podcasts, and I'm not sure that every single eat performer knows about macro caps. And we actually probably need to do like some kind of, you know, Jeff's macro caps or Sarah's macro <laughs> caps or, you know, yeah. just some different things for, for different ideas, but it's a way to round out your macros with kind of a desserty type thing without, you know, a huge amount of calories. Um, I interrupted you. Do you remember where you yep. were going to go? Okay. Yeah. So I want to touch on two points. I wanted to touch on tracking meals at restaurants that aren't in my fitness pal. And then I wanted to track on bloating while traveling because you're going to approach both. So the big thing is, you know, the nice thing about tracking when you're at home is you get an appreciation or realization for what 45 grams of carbs of rice looks like, or what 30 grams of carbs of potatoes looks like. So don't get yourself bent up. If you're going to a restaurant and Joe's Steakhouse isn't in my fitness pal and you don't know what that portion of mashed potatoes is, you know, when you when it comes down on your plate, you can visualize that portion size. Once you taste it, you can gain an appreciation for kind of like how much fat's in it. And then find a find something in my fitness pal that's close and track it. Um, your food labels on your packaged foods you're buying from the grocery store aren't exact. So even if you're tracking at home and you're scanning those labels, you're never actually getting exactly what the plan says. That's why it's important to follow the plan and why we give the small range. But, you know, find something close, track it. Um, you know, I, 
I travel. I mean, I, I was in eight airports this week. That's how much I traveled this week. I'm going to be in four airports next week. You can do this and you can stay on plan. I'm down 55 pounds with each of perform since I started, you know, it's, it's not as big of a deal. Don't get your head caught up in being exact on the macros, find something close and adjust. Um, also bloating when you're traveling, and you're eating, you're going to get bloated. It's just, it's going to happen. You're going to have sodium. There are going to be days that you're going to track the best you can, and it's going to be off. You're going to wake up the next day and go, wow, I feel like I had more fat yesterday than what I tracked. It happens. Your body's going to work through it. Um, but you know, just expect the, the, the bloat because two is I find myself eating a lot more processed carbs when I travel versus when I'm home, I'm eating more whole carbs. That transition too is going to lead for your body's digestion to kind of get backed up a little bit or getting kind of get thrown for a loop. And so when you come home, you step on the scale, you might be five pounds heavier, get back on plan, let, let a week go by. And in my experience, it usually kind of levels out. Now I do a lot of traveling back to back. So my coaches always get frustrated because a lot of times they get two weights a week, they get Saturday, they get Sunday, and then I'm back out on the road. Um, so we don't always get the low, the day after the low day weight that I want to see. Um, but that's where the communication comes in and just keep plugging away on plan and it stick with it. It, it does work and don't, don't get caught up in your head. So, so I'm not sure that this is going to be a tip that everyone can use um, because sometimes travel can be a little bit difficult. And I'm thinking more vacation. Um, and then there is a question that Allison asked that's specific to um, something that you said that is kind of an interesting topic. Um, so we'll get into that here in just a second but when we travel so um we're actually headed to mexico this uh next weekend and uh one of the things that we found especially with our family now there's cost is a concern here so i'm not suggesting that you don't but we would spend so much of our vacation around mealtime right? And what everyone wanted to eat and things of this nature. And it got really frustrating a lot. And then I would say once my girls were around 10, we kind of had the opportunity for a club level, right? And if you've never had club level, um, I think Marriott has them at most of their places. Um, some, you know, probably maybe the, the higher end ones, and what club level is, is about six times a day, there's kind of a nicer cafeteria where they have like smaller meals. And, you know, they're always going to have breakfast. Um, you know, their dinners, they're not, they're not these massive dinners that you would normally experience. And so when, you know, we're eating club level, um, you, you, I think there's some with alcohol, some without alcohol. Um, but for my wife and I, you know, we're, we, we tend to go to the ones with alcohol because my wife does drink and, you know, she wants to have a glass of wine when she's on vacation most nights. Right. And they'll allow you to take the food out of, you know, the area and you can bring it to your room or whatever, but it's a great way to control portions and you end up eating like much smaller meals than, you know, if you spent most of your day kind of thinking about the meal that you were going to eat. So when we, when we go this, 
this next week here, um, we probably aren't going to go to any restaurants unless there's a, a restaurant specific to that area that we just have to go to. Right. So I think that that's a really good thing. I think, you know, when traveling, there's a lot of little things that you can do. Uh, I'm sorry, vacation wise, you know, bars, protein drinks, things of this nature, all of those things can, can really help, you know, if it feels kind of rigid and it's like, yeah, I don't want to live my life like that. You're not ready. Right. Like, like I'm not trying to be mean, but you know, there's a lot of places that say, well, you can have up to 70% and still see success. Can you? Cause I'm not sure you can, you know, like, like I think that what happens if, you're drawn to much more flexibility. Now, I'm not suggesting that you can't have areas that, that are flexible, but if you're trying to actively lose fat and you go on vacation, you're, you're just missing the big picture, right? And if you can schedule around the vacation, I mean, most of you know this, you've been around long enough, where we, we really highly discourage you to cut before vacation. Cause right. You get that one picture, you know, and then the rest of the trip, you feel bloated and it's much better to go into your vacation. Um, it, you know, you can cut a few months before and be just fine, but if you don't have those calories normalized, you're just going to be sitting there the whole time paralyzed, you know, or you're going to say, fuck it. And then just start, you know, drinking and, and eating and usually at that point, if you were overly restricted, it gets bad. It gets bad fast. And, you know, as coaches, we can tell you, we've seen people gain 10 pounds, right? No joke. You know, it can happen. And, and that's when people are being more reactive than proactive, you know? And I've seen people do it the opposite way, where they came in, and they were reactive. And then one year later, we did it the right way and they were proactive and it's like a completely different experience, right? So Allison was talking about, she doesn't eat after 7 p.m. So this is a big Oprah thing from back in the day. If you yep. remember, uh, Bob Green and Oprah were like, don't eat a grape after 6 p.m. Well, so the, the science that that study was based off of you know, was sort of inconclusive the way that they were talking about, right? So there were there were two groups. There were the people that did eat um, after and, the, and the, the people that did before. The people that stopped eating at, at 6 p.m. did in fact lose a little bit more weight, but not a lot more weight, right? But the group that ate um, the, the before bed meal, they actually held more lean mass and gained lean mass. So they were actually leaner than the people that had lost weight. And so it's one of the weirdest studies, right? It's like, it's like if your North Star is weight loss, you know, yeah, I mean, I guess it kind of works, but, but we're not just looking to lose weight, right? We're looking to lose fat. And if you're, if you're doing it that way, you know, the, this idea of going to bed hungry, you know, makes little to no sense, especially if you wake up at two to three o'clock in the morning where you've got kind of this, this blood sugar rush because of it, you know, that 
med bed before or uh, meal before bedtime does stabilize that. Now, Jeff did say something that um, works for him. I'm not sure that would work for everyone, Jeff, where, where they have mostly carbohydrates. Uh, you mentioned casein. Casein is sort of a slower, uh, a slower um, uh, digesting yeah. protein, right? It's, it's maybe similar-ish to peanut butter, but I like an actual mixed meal there where it has a little bit of fat, a little bit of carbs, and a little bit of protein. And I think that that's probably what would work best for the majority of people. But this idea that, you know, don't eat anything after 6 p.m., not only is it wrong, it's probably fucked up more people's sleep than just about anything, right? And I mean, the amount of influence that Oprah had on all of us, including me, I did that, right? And so, so you know, uh, at that point, I don't know that the internet was near as evolved as it is right now, but if you Google it, every scientist on the planet is like, don't do that, you know? Um, and the reason is because it, it messes with your sleep. And so that's something to kind of keep in mind. So I want to move to questions, Jeff. Is there anything that, that you can think of that you desperately want to get out to everyone that we haven't covered so far? Well, just on the, the point of sleep, sleep something I always struggle with when I travel, different hotel rooms, different air conditioning, different beds, pillows, everything. Um, and I don't drink alcohol when I travel. I stopped that many years ago, and it really came from – I stopped drinking alcohol and realized that I sleep so much better. And it, it's one thing that I do struggle with on business trips when I'm with colleagues, because everybody goes to the bar and they have beers before they go back to the hotel at night. Um, and I just, I, I just explained to them that I, I just prefer not to drink. I have no problem drinking when, when I'm with a client, I do have a drink with dinner. I will have a glass of wine, but as a regular rule, when I travel, um, I don't drink. And the biggest reason is it helps me sleep better um, when I do travel. Um, and, and so I just don't do it. That is actually a really good tip. I think the other thing too, especially if you're on vacation and let's say that you do drink and then you do wake up at 4 a.m. One of the things that I've talked a lot about uh, and I don't want to get into a lot of it because there's, you know, it, a lot of it is anecdotal, but, but they talk about it in the book. Um, why we sleep, I think, is that what it's called? Um, the, um, by Matthew, oh shoot, it's too early in the morning. I can't remember his name, but, um, I know one of his names is Matthew, but Walker, anyway, um, Matthew Walker. Yeah. And it's why we sleep. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, if I wake up at four, you know, a lot of times I'll go down to the business center or whatever and just kind of check in on each form and maybe I'll write an article or, or something. But my big thing is really getting in kind of eight hours through a number of times of sleep or getting close, right? If I get to seven, I'm fine, you know, the good majority of the time. And then usually I'll sleep better. What happens is that if you wake up at four, and you don't nap and you don't do these other things, what ends up happening is that you end up 
kind of making that the norm. So let's say that you slept five hours that night, you went to bed at 11, you woke up at four. You're more likely to wake up again at four because you're overtired, you're getting to deeper sleep. This happens with melatonin a lot, by the way, you know, where people start taking melatonin, especially in like some really big doses. And um, they get to deeper sleep fast, but they wake up earlier and, and, and they feel awake. And then four hours later, you know, they're, they're tired and realize that they haven't had enough. If you can get in naps or like, you know, if you wake up at four and you could, you know, sleep till, uh, you know, get to get back to sleep at seven, sleep till maybe eight thirty, something of that nature. It's just putting, it's just putting sleep in the bank. Right. And that's helpful. And what I find is that if I can accumulate up to eight hours sleep, it actually makes my sleep better the next night. I'm more likely to sleep eight hours the next night than I would be if I just gutted it out. Right. And, you know, suffered through the rest of the day and your family's like, you know, why is mom and dad so, so angry? It's like, because she hasn't slept, you know, and then, and then you kind of have the cycle going. So, you know, remember that vacation or, or travel, you know, in some instances, you know, I think Jeff would probably admit, you know, unless you're flying, you probably do have more flexibility, right? Because you don't have soccer games and all the other things that you have. So you can get away with some things that you can't normally get away with. So that I wanted to bring that up. All right. So Danielle's asking questions. She was asking for other people's experiences. Um, I would highly discourage everyone from this. I'm going to tell you my experience with it and it mirrors your experience. But this happens a lot where, where people want to hear what other each performers. And I would say nine times out of 10, it's not relevant to your situation, right? And so, you know, we actively discourage this in the community group. Um, there's still some that get through because it's like, you know, what are you guys eating for fats? You know, that kind of thing. So we will allow some of those things, but we really want it to be more um, celebration of, of, you know, just all the accomplishments that everybody's making and, and sort of, sort of rising everyone up rather than, you know, going into these deep discussions that really you should be having with your doctor. Right. Um, so she said, so I started HP in March, um, between fat loss and my TSA checked a couple of weeks ago. I don't have any history of thyroid issues, but my TSH has dropped and is now a tad on the hyperthyroid in. I'm not super concerned about it because I don't have symptoms of hyperthyroid, but I know so, uh, but I know other podcasts have mentioned improvement in TSH, but has anyone else had this happen? So I've had this happen and I talk about it for fair amount. Sounds like you're not medicated. I would say that would be one example, you know, where Anybody else talking about your experience that is on medication, which I would say on this phone call, there's 67 people, I'd venture to say 30 of them are on thyroid medication, right? It's very, very common in our age range of, you know, 45 to say 65. And so if you're not on medication, 
your experience is different than their experience. I'm not on medication, so I can speak to what you're saying a little bit. Um, it's very well known that when you undereat, your thyroid's compromised, right? And uh, it's one of the things that actually bothers me about a lot of diet programs, even even super sciency ones, where you know there's there's hyperthyroid where you're talking about where your 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 um, thyroid is sort of speeding things up, and then there's hypothyroid where it's slowing things down. And the majority of people, when dieting, are struggling with hypothyroid. Hyperthyroid is when your uh, TSH numbers are going down, and food does help that, right? Because you know it's a little bit of your metabolism coming back into place. I'm not a doctor, right? So keep that in mind. This is really just my opinion, but it's my opinion based on you know, 10,000 clients um, that are dealing with this kind of stuff. And personally, my TSH numbers, you know, when I first started off, this was pre to perform, you know, I didn't want to go on medication if I could deal with it dieting wise. And I knew that I basically came from 10 years of dieting. Um, and it wasn't just 10 years of dieting um, towards the end. Uh, I was, I was eating quite a bit, but I was also working out quite a bit. And that also affects your thyroid, right? Where you're just kind of overdoing things too much. And so when, you know, my doctor said it initially, I did take the medication. It was a small dose of, of Synthroid and, um, and I did feel better. Um, and it, it was like, ugh, I, I felt like so much better that I was like, it scared me. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna, I was like, is it, is it okay if I reverse my position on this? Um, and so, so I did. And uh, I've not been on medication since this. I need everybody to stay muted. If you're, have a question. Um, I don't want this to become like a thyroid <laughs> um, episode, but um, because I'm not a doctor. Right. This is this is something you would want to talk to your doctor about. But I remember someone this was an actual doctor that works with people on the thyroid. And she took issue with the fact that I said that when you normalize calories, it has the potential to improve your thyroid. I didn't even say it did prove your thyroid. It has has the potential. But she's like, how can you say that? I was like, because it happened to me. Right. Like I literally, I literally fixed it. And so, you know, yes. Um, with medication is going to be a little bit different, but she, she's like, I've literally never seen anyone do it. And I was like, is it possible that literally never everyone, I mean, that she, she had a relationship with the dieting program. Um, is it possible you've never seen it because virtually everyone, you know, is on like an extreme diet all the time, you know, and, you know, it ended up being one of these things that was just not helpful. And I'm not saying to people that once you eat more, that it's, it's a, it's a end all be all for your thyroid. I'm saying that if you eat more, that's the way your body wants to be in the first place. And if it helps you improve thyroid wise, you know, great. Right. But we're certainly not saying that anything eat to perform related 
is medically favorable, right? But we have certainly seen it in, in, in some instances. In some instances, it really hasn't, you know, but we never make claims like that anyway. So, um, so yes, I, I've seen it. Um, I don't think you're probably going to get to the level where it, it goes the other way, but, you know, it's something that you should keep an eye on as we age, right? All right, so Susan's saying I haven't had a drink since... Um, I think she's saying January 2nd, when I started EGV, I was an occasional wine drinker, really am surprised how much I don't miss it. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I think most people know this. I'm sober. I've been sober for almost 20 to 35 years. Um, my wife is, is a moderate drinker. She can take it or leave it. Um, I don't get that. You know, if anybody here is sober, like, you know, when we encounter people that can can moderate alcohol, um, it, it it it's just almost shocking, you know, because most of us do it for effect, right? And so, if you're doing it just to take the edge off, I did see something on television, and we do have to shut things down in about seven minutes. We haven't had a lot of a lot of questions, but I think there's a lot of great discussion that Jeff brought to the table. Um, but especially after COVID, a lot of people were drinking. And I think that each performers in general probably sit in this other category where, you know, they were a little bit more cautious or more focused on their goals where maybe they didn't. But alcohol is one of these things. I used to joke about it all the time. Now it's much more common. But I would joke that the first time that I see someone log their alcohol would be literally the first time. And this was like three years ago. This was not like forever ago. So people were logging their food and then not logging their alcohol. And once we got people to make that shift, holy cow, do you realize the big difference that alcohol makes, right? Yeah. And the way that, alcohol is metabolized also you know makes it difficult and you know just so you know my position on alcohol is is not you know there there's 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 levels of sobriety right there's the you know friend of yours that that has been sober for a year and it's like taken over their life and they want you to know about it and want everybody to know about it and for the most part um, that's, uh, you know, I went through that phase. Um, and then it just kind of becomes who you are. Right. And so there's like, like year two to year five and, and, and now all of a sudden, you know, it's becoming who you are and, and you do kind of wear it on your chest. And then after year five, it's like, okay, now I need to move on and do the life thing, you know? And I think, anyone that does it right kind of follows that trajectory because the more acute that you are related to sobriety, um, you kind of need to be in initially just to go to meetings and feel motivated by that. But, but at a certain point, you have to, you have to live your life. I, I started uh, AA and NA um, when I was 18. And so it, it, it sobriety people hate this when I say this, I, I don't even know that I have a problem. 
right? I just know that I built like this magical life that, you know, if there's a fraction of a percentage that I can mess it up, I don't want to do that, right? But in terms of how it affects food and things of this nature, like Susan's saying, she prefers food over alcohol. I, I, I think that if you were to ask me as an alcoholic, right? I actually prefer people to moderately drink, right? And it's, it's weird because I'm at the eve of my daughter's 21st birthday. Today, we are going to an event where um, my daughter's going to be drinking alcohol with her cousins. She's been looking forward to it and things of this nature. And of course, as a parent, I have like these major concerns about it because, you know, one, I potentially have a, a genetic predisposition to it, but I've openly talked to my daughters. I mean, they've been to all my sobriety meetings or, or all my pins. I still get my pin, you know, every five years or so. And um, I always kind of warn them. I was like, look, if you're drinking to fill a hole, you know, in your soul, you know, that's something you need to look at. But if you're if you're enjoying yourself in a moderate way, you know, don't feel like this obligation because your dad was an alcoholic. And I'm not sure that every alcoholic parent thinks like that, especially early on. I don't think that I would have had that perspective early on. And because I came into it so, so young, I think that kind of changed my perspective a little bit, but I remember my daughter saying she felt this pressure, you know, and, and didn't feel like she could have a glass of wine and, and things of this nature. And this was after, I don't know if you, many of you have seen the video, but I took my daughter to France when she was 16 and we intentionally had uh, champagne, right? Um, because I wanted her to have a, re I, I, I didn't want her first alcohol experience to be in a Dixie cup, right? I wanted it to be special, you know, with her dad, who's an alcoholic, right? And so, so we kind of did that. So I do have one question. I'm going to end on that note. Let's see. Um, that's what food has been for me, filling a void, took a lot of therapy and self-examination to deal with that. I think it's harder to be addicted to food because you have to have it. Yeah, I think I think kind of food addiction, sugar addiction, a lot of these types of things really comes down to a lot of people working against their own biology, right? And so if you know, you view yourself as food addicted, it it's almost like you're being attacked by food, right? And and if your north star is, you know, wanting to lose weight all the time and things of this nature, you are working against your biology. The majority of the time, your body wants to be fed. And I think if you can sort of remove those labels, right, even as I'm saying to you, you know, alcohol, like you're saying, is not something that is required the way that that food would be. But, you know, I've, I've openly thought about it. I've talked to my therapist about it, you know, because there is a lot of things, you know, we, we were looking at going to Scotland and having a, 
you know, a glass of whiskey or, or <laughs> that shows you how little of a drinker I am. I don't even know how to describe it well. But like if you're in Dublin and, and you want to have, you know, a Guinness or something of this nature, it is a void in your life, you know, and I've, I've, I've had discussions with my therapist about, about that and, and maybe reintroducing it one day. For me, having those discussions and that open-ended idea has nothing to do with the fact that I'm potentially going to drink or not, right? It's, it's, it's sort of opening up that box, you know, I know we all kind of want to, you know, put something in a box, shut that box and never have to deal with it again. I actually find that life is better when you open the box and you re-examine these things differently. And, um, you know, very quickly, I remember, you know, I was talking to my therapist about potentially wanting it just for those moments where maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not an addict, you know, maybe, maybe the improvements I've made in my life, you know, that allow. And then my wife, like that night had an experience with drinking where um, it affected her sleep and she stayed up till 2 a.m. And that's where I know I might not be an addict, but I love my sleep so much. There's no way I would mess with it. And so, um, so I think be careful with the labeling, you know, uh, food addiction. Um, you know, I think a lot of people with food addiction and, and sugar addiction do that without talking to a doctor. I think it's important that you talk to a doctor to make those kind of determinations. So, all right. Well, I appreciate everybody being here. I'm so happy for all the people that signed up through Lifetime. Lifetime is a core, you know, product for Eat and Form. You know, we we always want to be this this long term solution for you when we built the program. You know, there's there's this idea of it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle. I always felt like that was always a lifestyle of under eating, and I wanted to counter that with Lifetime, right? And I wanted to counter it with this idea that for the rest of our life, we're going to be discovering, you know, the best us. And, you know, all these people that you know, and they are definite 100% that low carb or fasting or super restricted dieting is the absolute answer. Think of anyone in your life that is truly smart, that is truly profound, more often than not they are like, it depends, right? And they, they, you know, the most enlightened people have the most questions. And, and that's what I would encourage all of you to be for life, right? So appreciate everybody being here and uh, we'll talk to everyone later. And oh, by the way, we will, this was a good one. So we will shoot this up on the podcast if you came in midstream. Talk to you later.